episode, I speak with thought leadership coach and growth strategist Casey Jones. Key points addressed were Casey's mission to help aggressively humble business professionals find their voice and expand their influence in businesses. We also discussed both of Casey's podcast series called Thought Leader Camp and The Other Side of Sales and the crucial conversations these platforms and podcasts are endeavoring to explore and bring into a public discourse with transparency and honesty in order to help form a better version of these industries. Stay tuned for my fascinating talk with Casey Jones. Hi, my name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series contains interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts regardless of age, status, or industry. We aim to contribute to the evolving global dialogue surrounding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our subsequent series that dive deep into specific areas such as vegan life, fasting, and roundtable topics. They can be found via our website, patriciacathleen.com, where you can also join our newsletter. You can also subscribe to all of our series on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. I am your host, Patricia, and today I am excited to be sitting down with Casey Jones. Casey is a thought leadership coach and growth strategist. You can find out more on her websites about herself, her uh, different aspects of her company, as well as the services that she offers on www.abetterjones.com, A-B-E-T-T-E-R-J-O-N-E-S.com, and ourgalaxy.co. That's O-U-R-G-A-L-A-X-Y.co. Welcome, Casey. Thank you so much, Patricia. Absolutely. I'm excited to unpack both of your kind of endeavors. For everyone listening who might be new to this podcast, I will read a brief bio on Casey. But prior to doing that, um, let me proffer a quick roadmap of today's podcast and the trajectory in which the inquiry will be founded. We'll first look at Casey's academic and um, professional background that led to her launching a betterjones.com as well as ourgalaxy.co. We will also look at the core tenants, um, we'll look at the logistics of launching those endeavors, and we'll unpack um, certain aspects of her podcast that have changed recently and other projects and endeavors that are kind of wrapped into everything that Casey's doing. We'll then turn our efforts towards um, looking at the goals for the future that Casey has for the next one to three years. This is an area that has changed for a, a great deal of people that we've spoken to lately, given the pandemic. We'll wrap up the entire podcast with advice that Casey may have for those of you who are looking to get involved or perhaps emulate some of her career success. As promised, a quick bio on Casey. Um, as a leading thought leadership coach and growth strategist, Casey Jones is on a mission to help aggressively humble business professionals find their voice, cultivate their confidence, and expand their influence to have a real impact in their industry. She is the founder of A Better Jones, a growth coaching firm that helps startups generate demand and leaders expand their industry influence and founder of, and she's also the founder of Our Galaxy, a Slack community and platform that empowers founders and ambitious business professionals create the career of their dreams by helping them cultivate a supportive community with like-minded go-getters while honing their skills and building their confidence as industry thought leaders. 
She is um, also the host of Thought Leader Camp, a podcast where industry influencers share their journeys from obscurity to industry juggernauts and the co-host of The Other Side of Sales, a podcast um, and resource on mission to make a B2B sales culture more inclusive by celebrating the stories of underrepresented sales professionals in this area, I know we will be speaking to, um, as it is um, on the advent of coming into purview with Casey. Casey serves as a mentor in residence for Portland Incubator Experiment and has coached social impact entrepreneurs in Cuba, Lebanon, and Bangladesh. She also has been, she's also been named one of the Sales Hackers 35 Most Influential Women in Sales um, and Scala's LinkedIn Influencer to Watch. So those are exciting. Casey, before we get to everything that you're doing that led to all of those fun titles and um, awards, I'm hoping that you can kind of drop us into your, your professional and academic background that helped kind of develop the platform for you launching all of your current endeavors. Absolutely. Um, so I, I live in Portland, Oregon, and I actually moved here to go to college. And so I, what, 19 years ago. And um, I went to Reed College, which is like infamous for being super intellectual and kind of nerdy. So when I finished school, I, I majored in political science, thought I would be in politics my whole life. Um, and, but it also meant that when I graduated from college, I literally had no idea like what a person could do for a living outside of something academic, working for a nonprofit, and like some vague understanding of, I don't know, going into finance, which I had no interest in. Um, so at that point, I'd, I'd, already, I'd, I'd already worked on political campaigns and gotten burned out really early. Um, and so I had literally no idea like what you could do or what I wanted to do. And so kind of the first job I took was in sales because I'm good at talking to people and it, you didn't really need any actual skills and they were kind of willing to give anyone a try. And so that's how I started my career in sales. Um, when I was in my late twenties, I realized that I wasn't, I don't know, I wanted more. And so I went to night school to get my MBA hmm. and it was really going through that um, process really quickly after kind of my first semester um, my career really started to accelerate. Um, I, and that is when I made the, the transition from being in sales to being in marketing and really focusing on demand gen and working very closely with sales teams. And I'm, I like to say that I'm, have the brain of a marketer, but the heart of a salesperson. Um, and that, that's kind of where things started um, and, and how I sort of got on the path to where I am now. You're the first person that's actually ever kind of differentiated the two, particularly in the past decade. Sales and marketing get really thrown together frequently, also used interchangeably. And um, I'm old, I'm 43. And back in my day, they were very disparate. You know, they-, they oh, yeah. Or um, prop, uh, marketing materials and things of that nature, but sales and marketing were very, very different. Yes. Quickly, if, if just within your own personal opinion, kind of describe yeah. the difference for you between sales and marketing since it had a, like a, a distinct impact on your career. So, okay. So, and I can, I can explain this by explaining why I was not great as a salesperson. I would be really good for like the first six months of every role. Like I'd 
kill it. Sales is a grind. You need to, if you want to be successful in sales, you need to have serious discipline. It's honestly why a lot of people, a lot of athletes are good in sales is they're used to, you know, running drills and doing things that are kind of boring, but that help them get to where they need to go. Um, it's also weirdly why lots of, of, um, uh, people that go to school for music are also really good salespeople. So they're good at discipline. Yeah. And I was not good at that, especially in my twenties. Um, and I got bored. I get bored very easily. Marketing is much different because, um, one, it's, it's a little bit more creative. Um, I think, unfortunately, marketers tend to be too far away from customers. Um, and I think also the thing that I do love about sales is salespeople don't wait for opportunities to come to them. They're not like, oh, I'm going to do this stuff and like people are going to come find me. No, they go out and they find people and they engage them. And marketers are a little, in my view, a little too timid with those things. They're like, oh, no, no, I'm going to put out all this content and people are going to find me and do the things I want them to do. Salespeople just go out and like convince somebody to do the things they want them to do. Right. And that's actually, I think, my advantage as a, an early stage marketer, an early stage company marketer is when you're an early stage tech company, you don't, or an early stage startup, people don't know you enough. You don't have the power and the influence of a big brand to put something out there and have people find it and engage with you and want to do business with you. You've got to go hunt them down. And so I really like that kind of demand gen marketing approach where it's what I refer to as relationship building at scale, where how do you go find the people you want to do business with? Mm -hmm. and connect with them in a way that feels really authentic, but you do it in a more than a one-to-one -one basis. Yeah. I like that relationship building at scale. <laughs> That's a great term. Um, I agree with you as well. I think that, you know, I, I always viewed marketing as um, also like more describing and developing the empire or the product and sales are the people that are going to go and establish it, you know, yeah. And, and things like that, but really utilizing a lot of the marketing. Um, but I have heard people interchange the terms and I'm like, so you do you do both or do you just not, you know, differentiate between either? So, and it's been, I like the, the advent of social media did, yes. you know, old terms didn't have to mean just one thing. And I think that's beautiful, but I do think it is cool to kind of make sure to clarify the terms, particularly as you've um, done so. I want to get into launching um, a Better Jones, and you will start off with the logistics for all of our little nerdy founders out there, um, myself included. So um, who founded it? When was it founded? Did you take funding or was it bootstrapped? 100% bootstrapped. I founded it just about three years ago, and I did it because the startup I was working for ran out of money. And, um, so I had actually just gone to Beirut, Lebanon for like 10 days to lead a series of like growth strategy workshops for social impact entrepreneurs there. Um, it was like the first ever partnership between, um, the UN and a startup accelerator in Beirut. And I went over there with mega imposter syndrome and I was like, 
what the hell am I going to teach these people? They're trying to solve like real world problems, like building an app to help um, UNICEF field workers immunize 250,000 refugee children in two weeks. Nice. Oh, holy moly. But it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And I was so motivated and I realized I absolutely loved coaching startup founders. And so I came home from that and literally the next day, um, the founders of the company I was working for pulled us all into the conference room and we're like, so we're running out of money and you've got two weeks. So at the time I was like, I had kind of been planning maybe in about a year, I was thinking of of going out on my own. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, do I take a full-time job Mm -hmm. or do I just do it now? And one of the first calls I made was um, with a woman who, a really impressive woman who runs her own software development agency, also has a badass podcast, Susanna Bate of 100 Product Managers. Um, And I called her and she was, and I'm, we were working on a like co-marketing project together. And so I sort of explained to her why I'd been avoiding her calls for two weeks because I like didn't know whether we still had a business or not. And I called her and she was like, I thought you were mad at me. I was like, no, I'm so sorry. So I explained everything. And she's like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm thinking I might go out on my own. And she was like, oh, really? I'll hire you. I need some help. And I was like, uh, oh, yeah. that was my first client. And so it was like, it was a little, you know, I'm sure I could have been more intentional about the process, um, but kind of fell into it and a kind of, it, it just started developing from there. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and it's, it's not necessarily by accident. You did uh, indeed follow up with somebody on some level. Fantastic. So what year was that? So that was uh, end of summer, beginning of fall, 2017. All right. And um, what has growth been like since then, internally and um, client base? Yeah, so, you know, we've had ups and downs, especially also while figuring out like what what we're good at and what we really want to do. I think one of the things often, especially in the services side of a startup, um, early on you just take any client you can get and really quickly you realize like, ooh, I hated doing that or... I was not that good at that or holy moly, I charged way too little money for that. And you learn the hard way and you, then you start to kind of, you know, hone what you do. So we grew pretty quickly. I, um, when I founded the company, so it's called better Jones. Cause that's been my Twitter handle for like, I don't know, 12 years or something. And, um, I, I named it that because I just didn't think I would ever hire employees. And like five months in, it was like, oh, holy moly, I need some help. Yeah. Um, and so um, I think at Max, we, we had, we're still a super small team. We're, it's just me and two employees now. Um, we did join forces with another company and that was totally crashed and burned. So I know about bad partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but we've been pretty lean and mean, um, either two or three employees besides me for most of everything. Um, and for a while, for about a year and a half, we basically served as the entire outsourced marketing department for early stage startups that didn't feel like they were ready to hire internally. 
Um, and I realized this winter, right before the pandemic hit, I developed severe vertigo. Awesome. And my doctor was like, like, what's going on with you? Are you stressed? And I, I started crying in the doctor's office <laughs> that night. I was like, oh, hmm. I hate what I'm doing. Okay. And I realized that it was all the things that I didn't like about being an in-house marketer, mm -hmm. like a year and a half of basically kind of doing the same thing, really tough approval processes, like with none of the upside, yeah. no coaching, no mentorship. They have no skin in your game. And so I just had this aha moment where I was like, I don't, I'm, I don't like this. And we had chased these, like really, we had these really big clients and I just, I wasn't happy. And so, um, this, this winter is really when we started to kind of make this pivot. That's when we formed our galaxy. And that's when we really started to focus a lot more on, um, the thought leadership component and helping what I refer to as aggressively humble business professionals, and especially founders. This is like painfully common with women. Yeah. Um, where we're like, oh, I'll keep my head down and I'll work really hard and people will just know that I'm good somehow. Right. Yeah. Right. And um, so what we've really um, pivoted to super focus on is both the coaching and um, just the supporting of founders to um, become better known for what they do. So things like helping them book podcast interviews, helping them um, start their own podcast, helping them get guest posts, like all of those things. And then I do a lot of coaching of founders of like, okay, you know, you have something to say, how do you figure out how to say it in a way that really connects with your audience and helps you and not for vanity's sake, but for growing your impact and growing your business. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you have a lot of strategies to help you do that. How do you find your clients at this point since you've had this pivot over the last winter? And did COVID speed up or slow down or not affect the client acquisition at all? You know, um, it weirdly in some ways sped it up and weirdly in some ways slowed it down. It's like because of COVID, um, you know, we had several agency clients that like immediately had to shut everything down. And so we had a, we had a very rough couple of months at the beginning of, of COVID. Um, but that also gave us time to start to build these other components. So that's really when we started getting our galaxy moving. So we have a Slack community that is all around kind of connecting entrepreneurs and kind of ambitious business professionals on around thought leadership. And so um, a lot of my coaching clients come from there. We do a ton of webinars, um, really tactical, like, okay, like I'm doing one tomorrow of um, how do you save time and be consistent with your personal social media? Um, like those kinds of things. And a lot of um, clients come that way. Um, and a lot, obviously from, from the community and the engagement there. What do you say to, um, I, I think it's interesting. I think growing someone's expertise level and booking them on different things, it, it enters into an area that has become 
um, increasingly more predominant, but the mixture of one's personal social media presence and professional. You know, and there are a lot of people that argue to date um, that there isn't a difference anymore, that there used to be, but one's personal, it will always be found out and therefore plays into one's brand professionally, even if that brand wasn't developed on the personal persona. So um, I'm wondering how you personally coach your clients or your advice that you give in the marriage between the two or um, trying to distinguish or not distinguish between the two. You know, I mean, there's a lot of get encouraged to promote their business on their personal social media or vice versa. How do you kind of advise? So there's a couple things like one, it, it is, it is a lot easier to build a big well-known personal brand than a big well-known business one and people, and you, you really think about it now, even like really technical products, the businesses that are like, like, experiencing hyper growth. We all know who their founders are. We follow them on Twitter. We follow them on LinkedIn. Like we consume their content and yes, it's professional, but it has a much more personal bent. Um, but one of the things I talk about a lot with, um, my clients is if you really think about kind of your, your story, your calling, I think it's a combination of three things. It's your skills, your passions, and your triumphs. So the things, the hardest things you have overcome. And I look at like my personal challenges. So I've recently gone through, I was attacked by a dog, um, had surgery, was in the hospital, the whole nine. Um, but I also have, um, I have chronic Lyme disease. I have Hashimoto's. Honestly, autoimmune diseases made me a way better marketer. And I talk about it all the time because it taught me the discipline of like, how do you constantly run experiments on yourself to figure out what diet does well for you? What kind of habits and behavioral things? Like it made me just like a better growth hacker. And if you look at your personal life, I guarantee there are very, very personal things that you've gone through that make you, that inform what you do and it make you way better at it. And I don't think we talk about that enough. And there's something super powerful about being transparent about those things and people really connect to that. At the same time, I will say, if that's not your style and you don't wanna talk about those things, that's okay. You have to figure out like what is the right angle for you. But seriously, in today's market, in today's world, in today's noise, if you don't have a public presence as a founder, you are seriously undercutting the potential success of your business. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, and I know um, several people that have, you know, developed their entire tech kind of presence based on, you know, this wild Instagram thing from five years ago of them just, you know, kind of hanging out doing um, silly little glam shots or whatever. Oh, totally. Carried over and people want that. Well, and it's really interesting too, um, and I can share some of the links. Um, There's a couple of people who during COVID have basically like just decided, okay, I think I need to master Twitter now. 
And there's one woman, Amanda Getz, she used to be, I think, like VP of marketing for The Knot. Mm -hmm. And now she's got a startup. I don't know what her startup is. She went from like zero to like, I don't know, 10, 15,000 followers on Twitter, like in maybe six months. And she just mastered it. And she, there's something really impressive about kind of deciding like, I'm going to figure this thing out. Her account is amazing. It feels very personal but she's constantly dropping these like little knowledge bombs about marketing. And it's really like you learn from it, but you're also entertained by it. And so there's this way to do it. That's like, I don't know. It's kind of like pulling back the curtain on how you do what you do. Yeah. It, that's evolving as well. Right. Like the way you just described that, I'm like, well, I want to check it out. You know, it's, oh, it's yeah. Uh, but there is this whole anti-Kardashian Gen Z moment happening where everyone's like, if you have a filter on your photo, I'm not looking at it. You know, they're yeah. like the real, real. And um, and maybe it's because my heart kind of ascribes to that, you know, that following more than this hyper sense of reality. Everyone's smiling with bouquet of daisies on moment that happened for a hot minute. Oh, yeah. Um, there, it's changing. And I think people like that, you know, they stay up to date. They stay on trend with the next because millennials are fantastic, but Gen Z is the next major consumer, you know, with yes. more than millennials. And so it's like, there's a, there's a push to actually understanding that market and also some of their trends. I think that it plays out in people who elegantly kind of navigate the newer waters of Twitter and 15,000 followers over, you know, Twitter's a rough one. Getting followers on Twitter is, is nothing like Instagram or Facebook or anything else. You know, it's, um, it still remains as kind of like a spoken medium, which is why it's interesting that you, you find it so moving because you're able to kind of, at least for me, um, articulate the way she's verbally navigating those things without picture, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's what I, what has been very interesting is seeing, you know, I've been active on Twitter for a while, but I think it's the last couple of months I've seen major shifts in how people are using it yeah. and the content is like way better than it used to be. But I agree with you. Like the stuff that does well now is not the, the photoshopped content and the super perfect stuff. Like, you know, honestly how the main way that I kind of built my brand early on is um, through video on LinkedIn hmm. The first video, I, I always say first, but it's really the only video that I had that went like truly viral um, on LinkedIn. It was, I was in my, my one person WeWork office. I had my phone balanced on a stack of Post-its leaning up against my monitor and you can see my finger like push the button and it's like not at a great angle and the whole nine and um, I don't know, it had like, 175,000 views in a week maybe. And I woke up the next morning with, I think it was like 3,000 connection requests on, on LinkedIn, which was just bonkers. And it's like every single video I've ever done on LinkedIn, it's usually at max, it's like my second take or third take, but it's usually my first take. I say, um, I don't look at the camera while I'm thinking for a second. Like it's, and the people connect with that. And I think way too much, I think, I think so many of us just got kind of fed up with the, like yeah. the, the perfect curation of self and yeah, 
we want the real stuff. We want the stuff that just like where you, you connect with it. And I think the thing that's really amazing for me is I can't even tell you how many people now, I mean, not now because we don't go to events anymore, but I'd go to a conference and someone would come up to me and be like, like, oh my God, I, I saw your video on LinkedIn and they would like hug me like we're old friends. And you literally skip like 10 steps in connection mm-hmm. with people when, they, when they've engaged with you in that way because they really feel like they know you. And there's something just like really powerful about it. And that's also why I love the power of podcasts. Yeah. It's like, it's intimate. Oh, yeah. And it's it's amazing. I mean, it's putting the power back in the hands of the people, you know, where for years as a child, you know, the only people I ever saw interviewed were by people who could afford to do the interviewing and with people who they sought out to do their interviews. So white men interviewing white men. (laughs) And so it's um, it's amazing to have a podcast of this nature where, you know, I'm talking only with female, female identified non-binary individuals about their life chronicle their professional chronicles and, um, and having that be a, a platform, you know, to help people out there, having that be a voice joining the rhetoric in the community of people who are sharing their authentic, transparent story. I think it's changing the way the world, and we need to change because the planet's going to die if we don't. So <laughs> we need to have a new voice. And I was just listening to someone this morning that said, um, if you want a change, you don't go into the old broken world and fix it you launch a new one and you have everyone join you, you know? Oh, I love that. Going back in and fixing old broken systems and trying to convince everyone of just slowly coming over versus just building a utopia and having them come. I do too, and I agree with it. I want to unpack your podcast um, a little bit and what you're doing. I know that I had looked into one that has changed a little bit due to your recent struggles and um, tragedy with the, the dog attack. Um, I know you've taken a back seat, but you have something new on the horizon. Can you kind of spill the tea? Yeah. So this is for the other side of sales and, and the, the whole mission there is, um, frankly, my podcast co-host and I were both two white women, but we were just like really fed up with you, you look up sales podcasts yeah. and it's 90% white dudes. Yeah. Um, there are very, very, very few sales podcasts that have women and especially um, people of color, let alone women of color. And so our original mission was like, okay, tell the stories of all the people that have ever worked in sales that feel like an other. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost every sales team I worked on, I would, was the only woman. Yeah. And, um, and our mission originally was to interview all these really diverse voices and this winter we had kind of realized that like we weren't we weren't following through on our mission. We were we were interviewing a ton of women, but it was a lot of white ladies. And we were already kind of thinking about that and trying to figure out how we improve it. And then um, the murder of George Floyd happened and the protests happened. And we were like, okay, we we need to just stop everything. And um, so we decided that for the next couple of months, um, and normally our format is an interview one week and then just us talking on a topic the next week. And so we decided to um, just interview black 
sales professionals and basically be like, what do you, what do you want the white sales leadership to know about your experience as a black sales professional? Nice. And, um, and then right after we kind of started this, I had my dog attack. And so I stopped. And so, um, Ashley, my co-host brought in, um, a black, um, male sales leader, um, and so they started interviewing people. And then we also did our first um, webinar um, where we weren't on it at all. It was a panel of black sales professionals um, and the title was Selling While Black, what, white, what, what sales leaders need to know about creating inclusive and high-performing teams. And like the conversation was ridiculous and so powerful. And so we're now on this mission to, um, to continue with that. So we are about, we did run this um, really big survey. We got over 500 people to fill it out, um, all about the prevalence and the experiences of discrimination and harassment in sales. And so we've just had an analyst dig into all of the data and we're, we're, we're writing the report right now. Um, but we're going to do um, a whole series of webinars. We're going to do selling while LGBTQ, selling while, you know, Latinx, selling while Asian, like the whole, we want to just start. And we're also building what we're referring to as an accountability board so that we can have representatives from each of those kind of categories who one can like look at the data that in the reports and the content we're putting out who can advise us on the webinars that we're doing and let us know if we're screwing it up, like, you know, and help us be part of kind of a community of educating our industry and like, how do we do this better? That's awesome. And it's, it's, I mean, that self-moderation too, it's, it's a key aspect that even the most aspirational companies or endeavors or projects frequently just don't, you know, the audaciousness spills into like, well, I'm going to speak for this whole community. I'm going to do it now. One of my most favorite um, gynecological experts is a white man. And, um, and I, I want to contact him more. And um, I, he's on this medical series and he's a genius. He spent half of his years um, in medicine dedicated to menopause of all things. And, um, and I, I, I listened to him a great deal because um, I, I had a colleague that turned me on to him, but I'm like, someone needs to contact him and have him at least say like, I, I am a white man. And I get that. Like before you say anything else, because it's just that piece missing of like, it's not just humility. It's like self-question awareness that, you know, really creates genius and, and true movement and true revolution that every field is striving towards. Right. And, and I think that that you tying in that moment before you've even started going on this, um, this racetrack is, is so awesome. I can't wait to listen to it when, um, so what is the, like the podcast name and where is it found and how many episodes are coming out? All that good stuff. Yeah. So it's called the other side of sales and the website is other side of sales.com. Unfortunately, the was already taken. Um, and we release a, um, episode a week. Um, I will be coming back in like a week or two. Um, which I'm super excited about. And we are going to just um, start, we're going to continue doing webinars um, and we're hope, we're hoping to start in kind of like mid-August. We have a couple of amazing panels of LGBTQ sales leaders um, that are kind of lined up. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're really excited about what we're doing. And I think it's really key. Like, I don't care who you are. You've got to check your perspective and your knowledge. And so even if you are representing um, an underrepresented um, kind of class of people, you also have to recognize like your experience is yours and there are going to be other people that you can't speak for. And we have to be able to address that. Like one of the really interesting interviews that we did um, was um, with this woman, Galem Germain, and she's on the, the webinar that we did. She's um, a black sales professional, but she was um, born and raised in Sweden. Mm-hmm. So she is used to being like, like she was never in a room of black with other black people besides her family, like her whole growing up. And she's, speaks very candidly about that. But it's really interesting for her, like her experience of um, then she lived in America, now she lives in the UK, but her experience of being black is, is so different from what it is for many other people. And so she's even had to like check her perspective on like how she identifies with her race because where she grew up, you know, her Swedish accent, even all of these things are really, really different. And so I think it just really crystallized for me that like, it doesn't matter who you are, you need to understand, even if you're talking about people that you think are just like you, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean they have the same experience or the same understanding or the same sort of outlook on being whatever it is that you are. Yeah. And those layers of othering, you know, change and become um, magnified or lessened, you know, and things of that nature. It's ironic that you say that I was in Sweden a year and a half ago and um, I was interviewing entrepreneurs in Stockholm. And one of them was um, a black woman whose family had been in Sweden for two to three generations at least. And, um, and it dawned on me as well. Yeah. They had never, ever even touched, set foot in the United States. She was like, is it nice there? I'd like to visit. And I thought, wow, I would love to hang out with you while you come and find out what your take on it is. Because as, a, as someone who, you know, loves to study culture and social anthropology and things of that nature, you really do. It puts you in check. We all think we have these things because we're coming, as you said, from a nation. But the layers of otherness and, um, and non is, you know, is daunting and to hear her interact with, you know, an African-American or, you know, a Jamaican-American. Like, it would just be a surreal moment for me anyway. Um, and it's good to, it's a good social exercise that I think we all cover into at least weekly. I'm wondering, you have so many cool things on the horizon and you've had this awesome pivot that came from like this honest moment with yourself last winter. Um, do you have like a one to three year goal plan for, you know, your endeavors at Better Jones or um, Galaxy or with this podcast? It sounds like you're doing so many webinars and things like that. But do you have any other future um, endeavors that you can let us know about that you're planning on? Yeah, absolutely. So the vision for our galaxy is really to, sorry about my dog barking in the background. Yay, life, at work, remote life. Um Uh, So um, the vision for our galaxy is to really build a platform of resources for people that are trying to, to, you know, build their sort of brand and their thought leadership. So helping them start podcasts, finding podcast interviews, like a million other things. And so we're constantly building out content there. 
and the community is growing really rapidly and is ridiculously exciting. And so over the next couple of years, we want that to be like a really full platform. I want to be able to feature other kind of experts in this space who have other unique takes and other kind of content and information. Um, and we actually do, we're starting to do AMAs, Ask Me Anythings in the Slack community every single Tuesday, which I'm super excited about. Um, and then I'm also, um, as the, you know, my kind of thought leadership coaching business has, um, been growing and really scaling. I'm also looking at how can I make this more accessible? So a couple of things, most of the coaching I do now is one-on-one. Um, I'm starting to map out plans for group coaching. So it's a little more accessible and affordable. And then I'm also looking at, I'm very passionate about um, social impact. And I'm particularly interested in finding, and I'm sort of exploring stuff now, and I'm hoping over the next kind of year to really start to solidify this. But um, I'm really passionate about um, uh, criminal justice reform in the United States. So I'm looking at, are there programs that I can do of, coaching um, people that are just getting out of prison on how they can, sorry, build their personal brand and become kind of known for whatever they want to be known for, right? And um, and then I'm also looking at some opportunities for do this to do the same for kind of underprivileged youth. Yeah, that's excellent. I spoke to an entrepreneur um, a year and a half ago for this series and she was just coming out of an incubator and um, she had built a model and it was specifically designed um, kind of in a, um, I want to say like a Mary Kay, yeah, where they own the own product and they do everything. And it was for um, women of color and men of color. It was a hairline and it was based out of Jamaica where her mother was from. But um, the people that she was targeting most was um, women who'd served time because they were, they had the most difficult time, you know, as you know, getting into jobs, but she had this whole educational platform, but she was designing to take that community. And I thought, I, I was daunted that I hadn't spoken to anyone that hadn't looked to that, that effort. You know, she was really married to the idea of affecting the future of women and female identified non-binary individuals who had had this kind of extra stigma attached of, you know, having served some time. And um, I think- an awesome, an awesome future endeavor in yours. And I want you to keep us updated so we can keep everyone listening updated about that. I think it's, it's such a big part of our society that we tend to forget about. Yeah. And it's one where I think we think about it a lot in terms of like the reform aspect. Uh And we don't do a lot of thinking about like, okay, even if we do, we enact all kinds of reforms and people start getting out of prison. Okay. Then what? Like we make it incredibly hard for people to put their lives back together and we need to, um, we need to make changes there and support these people so that they have opportunity and don't get forced back into a life that's going to send them right back to where they came from. Right. Yeah. The recidivism rate, a thousand. I agree. And starting with the youth, I love that you kind of went to like some of the younger impetus start of that, you know, to look at that solution as well. I think it's paramount. 
Well, Casey, we are um, out of time, but we're at my last question, which is one of my most favorite ones. And I can't wait to ask you because your perspective has been such a, um, a growth one of this last year from the sounds of it. But I'm curious if you were walking in um, the Rose Garden and at a safe social distance, if the Rose Garden was open, which I don't think it is, but if it was tomorrow, Portland Rose Garden is my only reference. I had a friend. Yeah, it's beautiful. I know. I love it. I'm a sucker. I'm a romantic. Um, if you were walking at a safe social distance, someone ran up to you, a female, uh, female identified non-binary individual and said, listen, I'm so glad I found you. We have a friend in common. I have, um, I've gotten this, you know, and really fantastic background in, um, in marketing and sales and kind of figured out the difference of what I do very well in between the two. And um, I've just been told by my company that they are out. And so I've got two weeks left and I'm going to get ready to start um, my own thing going up right now. What are the top three things you would tell that individual knowing what you know now? Ooh, great question. Okay. One, I would say um, put in more time than I did thinking through truly what you want to do. And not about, hey, what I think I can make money at. You might have to do that for a while, but I really wish I had taken a little bit more time to really dig into what feeds me, what energizes me, what do I love, and what do I really not like about the work that I do now so that I can find easier ways to avoid that. Yeah. I wish I had had a little more intention going into it. Um, two, I would say like double down on the kind of personal brand building. Like really think about your voice. Think about, so my favorite analogy or, or framework for this is I love the Maya Angelou quote. I'm going to butcher it. People don't remember what you said. They don't remember what you did. They remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. So how do you want to make people feel? And then start to reverse engineer the things you can do, the things you can say that can make people feel that. Yeah. And third, I would say also prioritize connect, connecting. And I don't care that we have shelter in place life and we don't see people in real life. Truly, okay, I just went through one of the most horrific experiences of my life. Yeah. With zero exception, the women that did more for me during this period that like saved me, that were delivering food at my house in shifts so that my boyfriend and I didn't have to cook, like who were texting me, making sure I was like taking care of myself and I was staying positive. They are all women that I met through work. Mm. They are all women that I met, frankly, through LinkedIn or at one, my podcast co-host, we met at a conference and then we stayed connected through LinkedIn. And now, I mean, she, like all of these women are like my ride or dies. And you can and you should make that transition of making those connections that like become lifelong friends. And yeah, they're partners and they're referral partners and their business connects and all the rest, but these are the people that are gonna get you through the hard times. And they're the people that make life worth living. I love that. And I think that it's an interesting take. I haven't heard anyone. I think a lot of people have thought it, particularly women, but I think that they've been trained not to say it because it differentiates. I, I can't picture a white man saying that. I really no. 
don't get me wrong, I hope they exist, but like, it's such a differentiating factor and your bravery and just bringing it out, you know, I think is so awesome as well. So I've got number one, um, put more time thinking about what you want to do and not just what will make you money um, into your original decision. Number two, double down on building and curating your personal brand. How do you want to make people feel? And number three, prioritize connection. And um, don't let a, don't be afraid to let those connections migrate into personal. Yeah, love that. That's so perfect. Those are so different from anything I've heard, and we've been doing this for three seasons. Oh, well, that's great. I like that. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, so, Casey, we're out of time, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing your time and your story with us today. All of your knowledge and your insight. I hope to bring you back on in a year or two and. Um, get the 411 on where you're headed written, what you've done with everything. I would absolutely love that. Thank you so much. This has been a joy. Absolutely. And for everyone listening, we have been speaking with Casey Jones. She's a thought leadership coach and growth strategist. You can find out more on both of her websites, www.abetterjones.com, as well as ourgalaxy.co. She also has a couple of podcasts you can um, tap into. Will you say them for me, Casey? Yeah, so Thought Leader Camp, which it hasn't launched yet. I got a little behind with everything, but it's going to launch in a couple of weeks. And by the way, I'm totally going to invite you on it. Um, and um, uh, the other side of sales. Perfect. Check both of those out. You can also find her across social media. And until we speak again, thank you for giving us your time and stay safe, be well, and always bet on yourself. Slunch.